just enjoy whatever you do with your sports and life and be self-aware, but also just have fun with it. Sometimes that's all that's, <laughs> that's needed. You know, sometimes you just need to be reminded of something you already know, such as sports are supposed to be fun and you can be competitive and seek improvement and still have fun. So thank you to clinical and sports psychologist, endurance coach and personal friend of mine, Corey Nyamora, for that. I'm Matt Fitzgerald and this is 8020 Endurance. And I'm Hannah Hunstead. One big positive that's come out of starting this podcast with you has been making new friends. <laughs> Your friends coming on the show as guests, um, or at some point you've crossed paths with everyone that we've had on the show, and pulling them into my life has been a huge positive. Corey was a really great reminder that doing endurance sports doesn't just have to be about increasing your pace, placing better at a race, but it's also something that we choose to do, so we should have fun with it. Yeah, I have to say, I've got great friends. People like Corey, they make me feel better about myself. Doing what I do for a long time, and I've just collected a bunch of great folks. It's a blessing to be able to work with people that you would probably hang out with anyway if you didn't work with them. People are going to see why we like Corey when they listen to this episode. Absolutely. You'll probably feel like you're friends with him at the end of it. <laughs> but big shout out to our presenting sponsor, Inside Tracker, and the call to action for all of you listening. If you've been enjoying the show, please leave us a review or a ranking is even simpler than that. And enjoy the episode with Corey. Corey Nyamura, welcome to the 8020 Endurance Podcast where 80% of it is mental and 20% is also mental. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And I guess we'll just disclose uh, that you and I are buddies <laughs> right out of the gate. And because we're friends and we've known each other for a while, the book I'm about to mention, Life is a Marathon, which I, I wrote a few years ago, you have read. It's kind of a, a running themed version of the story of my life. So it's not the entire story, but it's a, a version of it. If you were to write a similar book about, say, the first 18 years of your journey on planet Earth, like which experiences would you be sure to highlight? Wow. So I would well talking about the sports piece and how that relates to the rest of my life. I, I grew up in Kenya, started swimming at a really young age as part of our school Basically, swimming was part of the whole school system, um, but I really got into swimming, was a good breaststroker, did that uh, for most of my life. And and one of the, the things I loved about it was just the ability to connect with other people, push myself, be competitive. What else? So there'd be a whole bunch about swimming and <laughs> I also grew up with a political family, journalists. My parents were journalists during a time when there was a dictator in charge of Kenya. And they did a lot to fight for a multi-party system and really gave voice to people who wanted basically democracy in Kenya. And so we yeah, went your to... Father, your father, Pius, uh, who I also know, um, yes. and your mom. I mean, he yeah. was a very famous man in Kenya at, at one time, was he not? And, yes. And, yeah. and, it, and it wasn't necessarily, a, I don't know if it was a smooth type of fame, but like mm-hmm. it was a rocky type that impacted you as a child and, and your brother, your, your entire family. How did that lead down to your athletics? So I think just going through so much sort of stress, you know, our family was targeted because the government didn't want them basically giving voice. So they were. There were a lot of raids on their press, some arrests, um, and bombings of their office. And as a young person, you know, sort of above my head, even if I was involved in helping a lot when they were arrested, I think going through just so much stress that didn't make complete sense to me as a kid. <laughs> um, being able to turn to the swimming and the friendships I built through that, being able to travel and just kind of have a normal life in the midst of 
as so much upheaval was really, really important. And again, being able to have something that was kind of under my control that made sense. It's like you train, you swim, you compete and travel and kind of do fun things as a kid. I think really built my resilience and it's something I've held on to through this period of my life in many ways, just the ability to be like, I'm in control of my body as far as I can and um, I get to have this peace so, and time to reflect also. So, so swimming kind of acted as like a way to get away from this hardship in your life and something that you could control. What else did that provide you mental health wise? Do you think that sometimes it was almost too much? Like, did you ever swing the pendulum where you kind of buried your emotions in that? Or did you see people using sports in that way? That's an interesting question. I'm not sure it ever swung too much Because again, like the swimming didn't take over completely, but it really was just kind of uh, rested, I'd say, um, because there was still so much discussion with family and I had to be involved in just kind of helping the business run actually at a very young age. I'm not sure there was like, you know, as much language for psychological things at the time even. I Mm -hmm. learned about psychology because I'm a psychologist now from reading a novel (laughs) It seems embarrassing to say, but it was like some sort of romance novel that had a psychologist character. And that was my only exposure. So it actually gave me some language or um, a vision of work that I thought would be interesting. And it also allowed me to think about the president at the time and the ridiculousness around power and politics from just kind of a more curious place. So I think both things kind of merged at the same time. (laughs) Isn't that usually how it goes, though? Like, young Jimi Hendrix just randomly picks up a a guitar and is like, (laughs) yes! (laughs) (laughs) It seemed arbitrary and accidental, but, I mean, you are a psychologist. Looking back at the course of your life, don't you think it was like, if it hadn't been that book, maybe it might have been something else because Mm -hmm. of what was inside you that it, it just stimulated and brought out yeah probably and i love the fact that it was this random book that (laughs) gave me the idea but it yeah it fell into just into line very quickly because before that and this was in high school i think so before that i had no idea what i was going to do except maybe something with writing or journalism because obviously that was a big piece of my family life but i think my person, I was very shy and just kind of more quiet. And I was like, this is excellent. And I get to sit and just talk to people one-on-one <laughs> and it matches with my personality. And it seems like a fun job. And I didn't actually have, and decided then that I was going to be a psychologist before I'd taken any classes. I didn't know anything about it except this book. And when I went to college in the U.S., I, I was like, this makes sense. So it could have been anything else but i'm glad it was not even if i didn't say that in my grad school application (laughs) (laughs) probably not (laughs) (laughs) but it is the truth (laughs) so being a psychology major where are you at with that marriage of psychology and endurance sports today so i did my psych degree in the midwest and then decided to go to grad school because you need more generally than the psychology degree to be able to practice. So I got my clinical psych degree, started that about 21 years ago. You know, I wasn't actually really focused on sports at the time in terms of thinking about psychology and sports as a career piece, but I continued my swimming, started running much more. I did grow up with cross country and track also, but it was never my love until postgraduate school when I started doing triathlons. And I think because I had so much time to think and realize that running actually was a strength of mine in triathlon world, um, I started loving running more and focusing on that. But the connection with with the sport and psychology came once I started practicing as a licensed uh, psychologist and started doing work that was also outside the office where I realized being able to walk outside or go on a run actually helps people connect with me much easier sometimes than just sitting in a room talking. Um, 
And it kind of just evolved into thinking about the parallels between doing endurance sports and getting through difficult life stuff, as Matt mentioned in his life as a marathon. There are so many metaphors and similarities, and it just started making me look at the links and seeing how I could connect sort of the power of sports and also the power of being aware of our thoughts and being able to get through challenges, basically, which come up in sports all the time. Yes, you leave me with this question. I mean, I don't have a PhD like you do, but uh, you know, I have an abiding interest in psychology and sports psychology. And for me, I've always seen there's no real partition there. It's all like human beings who happen to be athletes and it's a two-way street. And I think I might have said this in Life as a Marathon, I might not have, but like if I were a psychologist, I would probably try to convince every client to become a runner (laughs) or an athlete just for the sake of their mental health. But also on the flip side, you have athletes who may only give lip service to things above the neck. They're like, I'm an athlete, I'm a machine. Um, yeah, so can you say a little bit more of just about how interpenetrating those things really are? Yes. And um, so with the, with the first piece of, yes, I, I, I feel like just having people be able to be connected to their bodies and their minds and not look at them separately is such a big thing and people may be prone to one or the other. So that's been a really big focus with my work, finding what people are maybe drawn to. So if it's not running, though they all know about my running background and my coaching, so it kind of draws a particular kind of person to me who either does it or is interested in some sort of physical activity. And people who are coming in with sports concerns, maybe worrying about how they're performing, having them actually see that those things aren't separate is such a big part of what we do. And one of the things I've been thinking about lately, because I've always assumed, oh, if you're going out running, you have all this time in your head, because that's what I actually do. I I never listen to anything. I'm not listening to podcasts, not listening to music. And I've started actually asking people a lot and you know, everyone has their thing about the performance enhancement or music or whatever. We'll, but, we'll edit but, out the podcast thing. Just... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Podcasts have their own place in time. <laughs> but not all the time. So <laughs> I'm realizing actually that people sometimes are missing the opportunity to actually realize how their mind works or what holds them back or what's happening when they're working out or running. And it's it's okay if, let's say, you're listening to music and podcasts when you run, but you have a lot of other time in your own life to just kind of have time with your own mind and get to know it. Um, I think there's so much benefit to that. And that's actually being missed because of all the stimulation that we have and all the input we're having and kind of the push to always be learning and growing and being busy, (laughs) supposedly which is self-created busyness, I think, for the most part. Yeah. Um, it sort of takes away just being able to know yourself and know how to use your mind or your body <laughs> to enhance whatever you're trying to do. I think those two things aren't separate and we tend to miss that in both directions. Right. So just helping people slow down and actually not be so busy is, I think, one of the biggest gifts that people seem to not easily <laughs> want to take. <laughs> Right. Yes. So, do you find endurance and 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 an endurance sport if you actually do give you the time for that? If you really can be like, well, I'm out for an hour or a few hours and have nothing else but myself and my body and mind, and let's see what happens in the environment. Do you find that most athletes that come to you are open to the idea that those two things are connected, or is that often something? a hurdle per se that you have to get over or do most buy into that idea? I think I probably have maybe a self-selected group as they right. get to look me up a little. They're so already coming. People, yes. <laughs> so they so they are open, you know, there may still be some barriers here and there because we all have our blinders that are hard to see just in general. But think people mostly are interested in learning something (laughs) Um, yeah sometimes putting it in practice is harder than sort of just talking about it but i think most at least the self-selectedness helps (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. And I found, honestly, that the athletes I work with, most athletes are really hardworking people, so in general, and want to kind of progress and move forward. So it has been easier for me in general to kind of have people be open to learning something new or paying attention to different things. Because they're used yeah. to being like, hey, I'm used to kind of doing stuff and pushing myself. So Right. So the slowing down will be harder for them to be like, hey, actually, maybe you need to chill out and relax a little and not be so serious all the time is the harder piece. Gotcha. What you just said reminds me of why I would never want to be a personal trainer versus an endurance coach. They look like pretty much the same job, right? You know, you're telling people what to do in an exercise context. But if you're an endurance coach, you're dealing with a clientele who want to be there. And generally, I've never been a personal trainer, but what I've observed, for the most part, it's just like they don't want to be there. They hired a personal trainer because they feel like that's what they have to do to achieve a goal. And I, I never actually thought of this before you said what you just said, but I wonder if there's something similar going on in being a psychologist who works with athletes. Like There's a difference that makes them, at least in one respect, maybe easier to work with or easier to take a first step with, you know, in terms of buy-in. Is there anything to that speculation? Yeah, I'd agree. And also... So on the two different levels, so the people coming in for sports-related stuff or athletes for their own personal things definitely are like, yes, I want to work. Let's move ahead. Maybe I have my idea of how, what that is, but I'm open to, if I feel like I trust you, I'm open to, to that work. I'd say kind of the same for just the general population in terms of at least doing the mental health work and the psychology work. Unless you're being forced to come, which I usually don't see people who don't want to be there, it will be apparent quite quickly and it's not fun for either of us. <laughs> so again, just people who are open to getting to know themselves and figuring out what they need. Um, I, I tend to work well with that and don't want to be pulling teeth because it's not for me. So it is nice. You know, sometimes there's been the stigma around mental health, going to see a psychologist and Many times what I believe, I have my skewed sample of who I see, but I feel like the people who actually come and pursue this work are actually doing better maybe than people who don't go to therapy because, you know, they're they're gaining self-awareness and their communication skills, all these things that help. And sometimes I must wish everyone had their own dose of this. Just like, hey, if it's not psychology, something that's still about building some self-awareness and compassion and communication, (laughs) I think that only helps us and helps the community. So it feels like the stigma should almost be the opposite direction. It's like the people who don't, who don't, who aren't aware of things. Sure. Yeah. Yep. I just read Lexi Papa's book, Bravey. Her mother had a bad case of depression and um she did too and it was like her breaking point that it took her to talk to someone and to get help are the people that come see you are are they often at a breaking point as well like is it the last straw or is it someone who's hit a plateau is it usually when athletes are not in their prime when they're coming to see you i'm guessing the answer is yes but (laughs) Um, both people may be coming for injury-related reasons, not being able to do the sports they love for whatever reason, or just kind of performance anxiety is the initial thing. I see a lot of college athletes, so the transition coming from being the star in your high school team to playing at a really high level in college with people who are better, or you're all the same and there's all this pressure you've never experienced. So that adjustment versus, and also just adjustments to life, you know, other life situations. But yeah, that's a big change. Know, that affects your athletics, right? Like relationship stuff. So yeah, usually something's happened. Many times people are new, especially athletes or people who are probably like, I have to tough it out and I'm right. not going to go talk to someone, but. I think the connection with sports that they see with me is like, okay, well, you know something about sports and I can come talk to you about other stuff also. Yeah. 
sometimes actually eating issues that have affected their performance or like eating disorder type stuff. Is that mostly females or is that like pretty 50 50? It's, it's been both. And I think I also probably get more of a skew in terms of how the numbers have looked in terms of who actually shows up to see a psychologist. You know, like, <laughs> um, I've actually had a pretty good practice with all the genders, and I don't know if that's because of who I am or not, but um, sure. It's, it is hard also to find more male psychologists. So, people who want to be in this field, there's lots of room for all types of genders, <laughs> but also, you know. Just there's room for people, and it's a good career. So, so I get to <laughs> try and encourage right. people to come help us. Are you listening? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> there's opportunities. fun. His phone there's number is. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of need for it. So. <laughs> when you look at the relationship between mental health and performance in athletics, there's this woman I've been communicating with recently. So I'm a COVID long hauler. So I'm dealing with some chronic health issues that this athlete also has chronic health issues. She, on the other hand, I was, you know, an above average, you know, serious recreational athlete. She was on a course to the Olympics and got derailed by it. So di- different deal. But when communicating, it's mostly a texting back and forth type of relationship. We've come up with this formula for like the ideal mental recipe for not necessarily being the happiest person in the world, but for getting to the Olympics, which is screw loose shit together. So it's like there are two sides to it. You have to have something driving you, like some kind of emptiness, something missing that would compel you to hurt as much as you have to hurt to be a champion level endurance athlete. And you see that in example after example after example. It's not like the the most well-adjusted people in the world who are just have like, we're born with inner peace. On the other hand, you know, again, speaking not as a psychologist, but just as a person who talks to a lot of athletes, I've seen in case after case after case at the very highest levels, really good judgment. Like people who basically have a good head on their shoulders and consistently make good decisions. It seems like it takes that at least to stay at the top, if not to get to the top. So, but you can go ahead and say, Matt, you're full of beans, like you and your friend. But I mean, I just wanted to, to toss that your way, that combination of having a screw loose and yet your shit together for performance and endurance. <laughs> Well, the thing I hear from that, and I think you may be on to something, but the thing I hear with that is people who at least have a lot of self, I keep coming back to self-awareness or they're not lying to themselves about what's what's going on with them, right? So it's like, I have this motivation for this thing or whatever I'm trying to prove or do or achieve, I'm able to endure this pain and suffering that maybe many other people aren't able to do, right? It would be interesting to see studies also, because I think that would be, and I know your latest book talks a little bit about some of that, but I can imagine so. And it's hard to have good judgment if you don't have self-awareness or just, yes, I have some problems. I'm working through them in some form through doing this. Or I'm able to endure something through this or prove something. Self self medication <laughs> to an extent. <laughs> Maybe. I thought about that idea a lot recently, diving into the triathlon world more and more and getting a bit more serious about training, like toying with the idea myself, like, okay, what am I actually doing here? Why am I putting in all these hours? Like, what is that screw loose that Matt was talking about? Because a lot of my friends just don't do this kind of sport so you don't want to be labeled as like the hardo quote unquote that's spending all this time doing this when you think a lot about like what your motivation is and honestly if you ask me i don't really know the answer to that exactly don't really know where i'm going with this question but i guess it's more of a comment it, it's but therapy do, it's you're getting <laughs> therapy. That's yeah. yes yes matt actually set up this episode <laughs> for me to just get some therapy out of it <laughs> Go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but have, I mean, have you thought about that at all? Like th- that idea of self-awareness. Am I just really self-aware? Or here we go again. Classic endurance athlete being somewhat narcissistic, right? That idea of self-awareness is that the reason that endurance athletes do what they do or can do what they do. Like, would that be your answer to that question? Well, Did I even do- ask a question? Or- <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing, 
<laughs> you said you don't, but if you really were, like, how come you are drawn to me? I mean, I would just yeah, give me some yeah. Are you asking me? Yes. Um, well, how come? Yeah, because it could be anything. So how come triathlon or what to versus something else? Sure. How come you want to do? Mm-hmm. I think it, it feels really good, good to accomplish something. Yeah. Um, and have a goal to work towards. Um, just like you, I was a swimmer, so I've always had an event to train for or something on the horizon to work towards, and so. I think that would be my answer, but I don't yeah. think it's the right answer. Well, and, <laughs> that's and my actually, band-aid answer. <laughs> yes, and and I think there's no. I mean, so this is the part. I'm glad you're bringing this up because I don't think there's like it has to be like this. You know, that's the right groundbreaking answer. answer. Yeah, and that's the right answer for you, right? Like, so there's something drawing you to it, and you maybe hard to put in words, except you enjoy it. You want to see what you can accomplish. You want to see what you can do there's some curiosity about what your potential is so i think all those things are good and it may change as you do it more and it's also okay to put all this effort into that because people do other things that take effort that don't they aren't objectively like oh this is what everyone should be doing so i think just going with it and seeing what it is and then i think if it's miserable like it's bringing you misery forever and your whole life is suffering and you're still doing it and don't know why they think that maybe that's when you'd be like, what am I getting out of this? Yeah, I'll give you a call. Yes. (laughs) So for now, I think sometimes just also being able to have fun and enjoy yourself and enjoy being out and enjoy being able to be physical. I think that's really important in life (laughs) because we're not always going to have all the abilities we have right i often think about to endurance sports or a a run or a bike during the day sometimes i need that to feel sane i often think if i broke my leg right now and wasn't able to do these things i would go insane (laughs) (laughs) yeah matt Matt raises his hand yes and matt and i kind of talked about that off the mic but do you ever deal with people that have had a fatal injury or can't do the sport anymore and that was kind of their quote-unquote therapy and the way they stayed sane and the way they worked through things and then what do they do yeah obviously there's a lot of grief and just being able to kind of go through that so you're not just trying to deny that everything's fine and you're just moving on but like it does suck because it's been something you've loved and been invested in and then I would really just look at what else, who else you are, because usually we're not just one thing, right? It may be like trying to do some other activity if you're able to do other stuff. And if not, like just what else is there? Because life hopefully isn't just one thing or we're not just one thing. So how mm-hmm. to find other avenues. And, you know, maybe that's come up this year also with COVID, even for the people who haven't experienced a direct health impact or just having to shift gears and not be in the world that we're used to. Hopefully it has been a little bit of a, um, a step into it for people to be like, how can I deal with life when I don't have the things I usually turn to or mm-hmm. the opportunities to compete or whatever, to be around people or to do stuff that helps me feel sane. Can I find other things that give me some sanity? Because mm-hmm. I think that's a big piece. And I don't know if Matt can speak through it a little bit. Yeah, but, yeah, I assume, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, the question that has been teed up in my mind for you is like, I mean, it seems kind of ironic, but aren't athletes, by virtue of their, maybe their wiring and their experiences, in a sense, well-prepared for the loss of, of athletics? If, if they've done the work, they've grown in their mental fitness. If I had lost the ability to run... 15 years ago, it would have been a different story. And for more than one reason. One, one reason is that I had a lot more unfinished business then. So it would have been a lot harder to let go of. But another is that you know, when, I, when I think about how I have processed this experience, I've tried to treat it as a challenge, not all that different from a long race that starts to go sideways on First, the thing goes wrong and you're like, no, I don't want that to go wrong. But then if you're serious about having a champion's mind, you pivot to, okay, 
this is what I signed up for. Like, how do I still make the best of this? And for me, losing the ability to be an athlete, maybe forever, maybe just temporarily, I've tried to, I'm not saying it's as easy as that, but I've, I've tried to, and it actually has felt quite natural, you know, to treat it as, I, I want to rise to this challenge and make the best of it. It's like shaking your fist at the rain to just wish that it hadn't happened. What's that, that going to get you? So you accept it and then you try to make the best of it. So does that make sense to you that I would never have wished this on myself, but the work that I did developing a champion's mind maybe has put me in good stead in my current situation and would, and would for other athletes as well. Yeah, I, I really agree with that. And, and that's really hard, right, to get to. And I think the fact that you've paid attention and been doing this work for so long and thinking about it and talking to people and going through your own life challenges. So when folks are training at a younger stage for triathlon, hopefully you're also paying attention to what your mind does and what the parallels are to life. Because I think you brought that up really well. And life is a marathon that I'm learning every day when I go out on my run <laughs> or run a, do a race. And so long as I'm paying attention to what my mind, that's the biggest trick. And another plug I'd give for the whole athlete tour, like I don't know how I deal with life if I couldn't exercise because I feel like that on many levels. But I did a... It was just a 10-day meditation, silent meditation years ago where there was no exercise allowed and it was all meditation all day, like with nothing of the usual things we all turn to. And I felt like it was a really nice immersion to knowing what my mind did when I didn't have any of the regular stuff. And I would really recommend something like that for people who are used to movement so much. <laughs> mm -hmm. be like hour after hour day after day and it was only 10 days they're longer ones but you couldn't read you couldn't do anything except sleep eat and meditate um and walk very slowly around <laughs> so so that sounds worse yeah. than fasting <laughs> yeah but but you kind of get to know what's in your head in a way that is really hard to achieve in any other way and, and you're trapped you're <laughs> yes. trapped with yourself <laughs> as some people have felt this year. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I feel like meditation and a lot of other athletes, like endurance athletes, or I used to teach an indoor cycling class, so it's like loud music, super fast, super in your face. And a lot of my instructor friends were like not yoga people at all for this very reason. And, and I'm kind of the same way. Meditation or like slow flow yoga or things like that are just like not for me and I've kind of poo-pooed it but it's it's basically the same thing that you're doing and that you're used to as an endurance athlete but like a completely different exercise right like you're trying to find the same flow and the same inner peace in a way but just through a different medium is that right yes yeah yeah I would say so, like, yeah, in terms of, especially if you're able to do, again, the endurance stuff without too much dis distraction mm -hmm. all the time. Um, but, but it is also a different skill for, like, just that sitting and being able to be with yourself sometimes without movement. So trying to yeah. do, I, I would always encourage those things because I think that may help also with the preparation, right, for injury or for not being able to do stuff if we're so used to movement or accidents. Yeah. Or to be like, yeah, how am I if I don't have this thing that I'm so closely identified with? Just another tool in your toolbox. Yes. <laughs> uh -huh. I wonder if it helps you in that regard, Corey, to be where you're from. I've been to Kenya once. It, it was with mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the whole reason you travel is that, you know, hopefully when you get there, the place you go to is not exactly the same as where you, where you just left. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, it's easy to overgeneralize. But, you know, it, you know, I was there for 12 days with you. And my experience consistently in the country was that um, folks were just a little more chill, actually quite a bit more chill. <laughs> That, that Americans like that I, I was it was almost like an atmosphere and we, you know, we started off in Nairobi where there's people everywhere but like the energy was for a city of that size was just completely different from like a, a, a major US city and initially I'm just like wow I'm struck by this and then 
I was sort of embarrassed. I'm like, wow, this seems just so much more sane than where I'm from. Like, like I think I just came here with a disease. Um, and then, but I'm, I'm glad I was there as long as I was because by the end of it, I, I felt it influencing me. And I thought, you know, this is better. Like, I want to kind of bottle this and take it back to the States with me. And I realized that the time goes by and that maybe, but I've, I've really tried and I still, it helps that we've remained friends. But, and then you think about just the cliche, how, how high performing Kenya's top runners are. And I know you're good at football too, soccer. It's that cultural calm that, that I observe part of, it is an advantage to an athlete, an endurance athlete. And, and possibly this is more of a reach part of the formula for Kenya's top runners are famous for being cool under pressure. Mm -hmm. uh, so is there something to, I just throw wild speculations at you. Yes. Is there something to that one? Well, but yeah, I mean, I think thinking of, again, the culture, right? Like, so I, I moved here when I was 16. So I've been here now longer than I've been in Kenya, but obviously still, you know, have my Kenyan influence and my Kenyan family and get to go back uh, as often as I can. So I feel like kind of immersed in both cultures and maybe even more in American, being more aware of American culture now. But yes, I mean, they're like, just things are slower. People take their time more. People help you more. There's just kind of a different feel. Even with looking at the runners, that, that may be a whole topic I go with, but just the culture of not always rushing and being community-minded in many ways. <laughs> so, of course, people want to do well, and the professional runners really are relying on money from their races to make a living and it goes so far there but they work together generally and whatever they win and build helps their communities so I think there's just like kind of a different feel for what's important maybe <laughs> and yes you want to be the best but you're also the best in context you know with all the help of everyone because there's so many good people and runners there so I think just not always being so solo driven is helpful maybe even in this pursuit of excellence it's like why am i doing this and how is it helping other people right right and i think we we hopefully we're doing this here even when everyone's like i want to be the best i want to be the best whatever but how, how does it actually help your family or your community and that may not be clear but you can make it help by doing other stuff right so but yes i think the society we're in totally influences that in many ways yeah for so better, then, for worse. Yes. <laughs> so in a place like this, where we're all, where I feel like there's a dominant culture of being like, yes, you're supposed to be the best. You're supposed to get better all the time. You're supposed to be making the most money, doing the biggest things. And that's not everything. And that's not how everyone lives. But I think being able to reground in why is this important and what do I actually want or need? <laughs> but I can pursue this, but for what purpose? Because I think once that gets lost, then we're sort of lost in just doing stuff. <laughs> just doing stuff is not, not the right answer, I don't think. <laughs> I'm just doing it, and I'm so busy doing it, I don't know why I'm doing it. <laughs> Which is really easy to do, frankly. That's <laughs> true. like their stuff. Yeah, well, bouncing off of Matt's question... Do you think that inner calmness is part of the equation of success for an endurance athlete? Do you think that's something that people are born with? Or do you think it's something that you learn like in, in your culture that seems very embedded in your culture, but not necessarily in the U.S. maybe? Um, so I, I would say, well, I would have to say both for everything, right? Like, so there's the... <laughs> Since we all have such different personalities, and there's obviously probably like the very intense people there, but it may look different based on what's around them, same as here. But I think it's easier to do it, obviously, where the culture supports it and you don't feel like such an outcast, right? So if you're in such mm -hmm. a high, highly competitive place and you're like, look like the slacker, I mean, there may be more pressure <laughs> to be like, oh, I need to look like I'm doing things all the time, right? But I think there's personality variations and then also just the practice that, again, highly competitive athletes have had their job. They're spending a lot of time looking at their training, what their mind's doing, and it's sort of like they have the advantage of actually having time to do that, um, which many of us don't. And that's the advantage of getting paid to be an athlete. Anyway. <laughs> One of them. Yes. 
And do you think that's kind of a coping mechanism? As you were explaining that, a thought that triggered in me was like, okay, I I think a big um, advantage I have for at least this long distance triathlon that I'm starting to get into is this ability to remain calm. And honestly, sometimes I think I'm too calm, (laughs) Um, but in certain situations, but is that my coping mechanism to my previous experiences as an athlete that I've had to remain calm because your energy is being spent elsewhere? Or is this like groundbreaking philosophy right here from Hannah Hunstead? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, just the the thing I would think about is, you know yourself what helps, right? Because there's a certain level of what we'd feel as anxiety or just kind of energy that's helpful for motivation or having energy to do something really hard but mm-hmm. if it's too much obviously it's not working if you're so anxious that you can't get where you need to be or can't stay focused sure. right so i think just knowing what your balance is right and if it's back to the self-awareness yes, piece, yeah and figuring out what works i think for you to that point speaking of professional athletes i coach one professional athlete and i just had a conversation with her last night where things seemed a little bit off and we, we just had a check-in and we talked a, a bit about her personality and how her personality affects her she runs for a paycheck you know she's responsible to sponsors there, there's a lot at stake so it's not a hobby i mean it's, she loves it like most professional runners do but she has to make her personality work and what i was trying to explain to her is we, we get back to self-awareness again like you got to work with what you have and you can't just assume, oh, I don't have the right personality to be a champion or that I do. Your personality can be both your superpower and your kryptonite as an athlete. And what self-awareness allows you to do is take full advantage of your personality characteristics as a strength, but also account for and sort of minimize the consequences of the liability that they also represent. But I think the important thing to understand for all athletes is like, you, you don't have to have one certain personality. Like you are who you are. And for Hannah, calm is not my thing. You know, catastrophizing is my thing. <laughs> like, and so I think I, I, made, I made my thing work for me. I made the panic button work. And, and, and Hannah's much younger. She's earlier in her journey. She's hopeful that the calm can be her formula. But can you speak to, to, to that from a much more knowledgeable standpoint than I just did? Yeah, I don't know how much more to add to that. But I think just really paying attention to yourself, because I think this is the other thing that comes up as we do work and have comparisons. It's just figuring out what's hard. Is the calm like for you? Yeah. Is that helping you enter something well and do well and put your energy into the actual physical part of the sport and do that? Because I think that's important. And then if it's not working or you're like, ah, actually, I'm so calm that I'm not actually getting anywhere, then that would be problematic for the goal. (laughs) But I think just trying and experimenting, maybe talking to people if there's, there's any roadblocks, but I'd say there's not one way. It's just figuring out. Like if you were coming in to see me and it was a problem, we'd sort of figure out what the problem was. But if it's not, then I'd say go f- go for it. Like is, is there any personality that just it, it absolutely doesn't work? You can't have that don't personality. Even, don't even think about being an <laughs> athlete. <laughs> the things that I found, maybe the commonalities that I find is that people generally are people who can organize, right? So if you're training even as That's an the shit together. Bro. Right? Like, yeah, you're, you know how to... <laughs> schedule your training or you figured it out you know how to manage the rest you're able to be structured in some form and people who have a really hard time with that obviously have a hard time with follow-through so being organized is helpful (laughs) and being driven being able to keep trying so if you're someone who's going to give up when you don't get the goal that you want obviously you're not going to do much more than that so being able to be like yes this sucks i'm upset but i get to move on and learn and try so most people want to keep at it or keep figuring something out (laughs) and the people who aren't usually aren't going to do continue post maybe one event (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, 
And honestly, people who are comfortable with discomfort, right, enjoy some level of feeling like I exerted my body and hopefully my mind also. I pushed myself mm-hmm. in some form. And then that's also like, I feel like Matt has that way higher than I ever would. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, there's levels of how intense people can get, but I enjoy that way more than someone who cannot imagine exerting themselves at all right like and doesn't want to be sore and you have to have the interest obviously (laughs) there's that (laughs) (laughs) but there's very outgoing people and very shy quiet people the whole range of right thank goodness so we've talked a lot about self-awareness i'm curious (laughs) to hear your thoughts on the importance of athletics for children. Do you think it's absolutely necessary? From the sounds of it, these are grounds for big life lessons. And what do you think the parent's role in that situation is? I definitely think any kind of physical activity should be part of school for everyone. And it's sad when that's not the case everywhere. So I think everyone... Mm -hmm should have access to that because obviously there's the health benefits, mental health benefits, physical benefits of just being able to be active and figuring out what you love. I think the extent is a whole other thing, right? And maybe this is where I come to some of the cultural comparisons and I don't know how much Kenya has changed lately versus here. Compared to what I grew up with, seeing what kids are growing up with here and how intense it is from such a young age and how much extra training and practice and everything there is again it may work for some people but i think it's really important for parents and families just to be really thoughtful about how the kid's doing with it what's the goal is the goal for the parent is it for the kid when is it too much basically and when is it about the parent and not the kid and also what lessons are the people learning? Because I think I'm finding for those who've grown up with really intense sports and kind of specializing from a really early age and training all the time and traveling all the time and just, again, being busy all the time. I think once people get to college or post-college, it's really hard to adjust to who else am I when I don't have this thing and also... What else is there about life if I'm not competing at this level or as good at this level? Or or I feel really disappointed if I'm not interested anymore because my parents have given so much and have done their whole thing and that I'm not quitting because of them versus because I want to keep doing this. So I'd say like, yeah, just having having balance. I, I think being clear that your child actually wants to do it, which can be hard if they also want to please you. <laughs> yeah. And, And having some balance in life, because it doesn't need to be that serious all the time. (laughs) Um, I've definitely experienced either personally or just witnessing in college that whole range of people feeling that way. And I think at least the U.S. children's sports are a bit intense at times. And the specialization, like you're saying, how do you know a five-year-old or a seven-year-old or 10-year-old, you know, they might be really, really good, but if it's all they've ever known and they've never picked up a hockey stick, maybe they would love that even more or a paintbrush. Yeah. Food for thought. Yeah. So that exposure to variety and also breaks. I mean, I don't know how this is built in in youth sports. Can people just do other things? And and also, if you're so focused on being so good at one thing, again, that may work for someone who's going to go on and do this professionally, but how many people are actually going to do that? Does it allow you to actually try other things and not be good at them? Because I think also people don't try stuff or mm. can just enjoy something because it's enjoyable if you're like, well, I can suck at this and I'm only going to do this thing I've done forever because I good at it right where kids are missing out on just having fun and exploring i think sometimes so yeah even if they get the benefits of sports and teams and all that so Mm -hmm. i think parents sometimes just maybe can relax a little bit and maybe reflect on their own childhoods because i don't know if this has happened for generations it's like i doubt that many of the parents were so intense in their own childhood so (laughs) they can be like hey kid let's have some balance and just go play also. <laughs> Corey, I, I feel bad for our listeners. I, I get to talk to you all the time, uh, <laughs> but we'll, ha- we'll have to have you back again. 
if you're willing. Yes. Um, yeah. There's much more I would like to discuss with you, but we got to wrap up and we're introducing a segment here. Every podcast needs this thing. We call it our super deep closing questions. <laughs> the question itself may be deep. It may not. But the, the one I've got lined up for you is do sports build character or reveal it? Hmm. I would say re- reveal if I had to pick one, because I always want to say both. <laughs> I like that. I like that you, you're trying. You're trying to take your side. <laughs> That's a rule of the segment. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly think people are kind of who they are, right? Like, I, doubt, I don't think we change very much. So we show up how we are in most cases. Yes, we can all learn things, but... I almost feel like how I would deal with some challenge would be very different from you, even if we went through the same training. So I think you still learn something from it. So, um, but I would say reveal, because I don't think we change. We make some incremental changes, but yeah. that's yes. what I'd say if I had to pick one. <laughs> A super deep did. answer to our super yeah. deep question. <laughs> yes, it's very deep. <laughs> Well, Corey, thank you so much for being with us today. I will probably be booking a session with you. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, well, I actually, I don't know. Maybe I'm not kidding. But definitely revealed a lot about endurance athletes and, and how we can can have a better mental state or work through things. The biggest thing I took away was the self-awareness piece. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Yes. And we hope to have you back. Yes, thank you so much for having me. And hopefully whoever's listening and everyone in you get to also be self-aware, but also just have fun with it. Sometimes that's all that's, <laughs> that's needed. So so true. So true. Yes. Thanks, Corey. Yes, thanks, Matt. We'll talk soon. Okay, so hoping we made good on our promise. Do you feel like you're friends with Corey yet? If you're not... His information is in the show notes and you can reach out to him, learn more about him and what he does. We'll chat with you guys next week in the next episode and have a good one.